Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with Matthew Offenbacher. Matt, I'm going to ask you how you're doing, and I think what I'm going to do is just offer up exactly what we're going to talk about today, and then we'll get into a little banter. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Cool. So you're doing good? Everything going well on your end today? It seems to be, although, you know, something that sort of winds me up a little bit is some of these third-party products, mm-hmm. and it could be good or bad, right? but they're there, and sometimes they can be a huge thorn in our side, other times... They can be good because I don't have to mess with it. it. It came from someone else. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And for the listeners out there, today we're going to talk a little bit about third party. And for any of the mud engineers out there, you've likely seen third party products come on location. Again, there's advantages, there's disadvantages, depending on what side of the fence you stand on. But I think it's going to be good for us to at least kind of describe what third party products are about, some advantages, some disadvantages, and then just some of the common workarounds that us on mud engineer side or even the account management side, or just us as AES need to consider and and some of the things that we keep in mind when working with third-party products. So with that said, before we get into that, Matt, I mean, again, still off-season baseball. Are you a big football fan that just finished up here with we're about to be going into the Super Bowl? I mean, are you big on that? Or I was sick, so I got to watch all of one of the games last week. And then this week, I got real busy. And then I felt really bad that I missed the 49ers game because... Well, it sounds that Brock Purdy, like, great story and everything, and then he got hurt, I guess, and so they didn't have a quarterback after going through three of them. And I was like, man, that's a bummer, like, what could have been? So there's that, but I guess, you know, I follow the Texans. I wouldn't say I'm, like, a huge fan. I haven't watched a game in a while, but, like, I always have it on the radio when I'm in my workshop or whatever. Yeah. And the big thing about the 49ers is, well, now that their season's over— Maybe we get D'Amico Ryans as our future head coach. Okay. And that seems like everybody's pretty excited about that. You know, he played for the Texans, really influential player, seems like a really gifted leader. I think that's something we can all get excited about. I'm kind of following that in hopes that maybe someday I will want to go to a bar and watch a Texans game with people. Right. But right now, my Sundays are pretty freed up when it comes to the NFL season. So I hear you. Well, I, I have maybe have watched about five downs of football this year. And for someone who grew up playing football and absolutely loves the sport, you know, you sometimes have to prioritize your time. And unfortunately, football is not on there. And it doesn't help that my wife doesn't like sports at all. So it's not like, hey, let's watch some football. She'd rather read a book or something or work on her business, which I totally respect. But yeah, I didn't even know who won yesterday. And then this morning I was at a customer's office. They're talking about it. So looks like it's the Eagles and the, oh, the KC. Yeah. So if you were a betting man, I mean, where would you go? I mean, I don't know. Like, it just seems like the Chiefs are so good all the time. But the Eagles have been so good this year. Yeah. And I mean, like, they just freaking steamrolled. Cincinnati? Or? No, Cincinnati and 49ers played. So it was the 49ers had the injury, whatever. So that probably would have been a more competitive game. Anyways, the Eagles have, have like dominated the playoffs. They've done really well. Their quarterback's from Houston, actually, which I thought was kind of cool. Who's their quarterback? Uh, I don't even know. Oh, gosh. You're asking me, and now I'm going to get it wrong. Like Either this, way, he's from Houston. He, yeah. Okay. So H-Town probably... boy. So you know what? I'm going to get behind the Eagles, which yeah. is hard after having dealt with Philly fans during the World Series, right? But they're having quite the sports run. Good for them. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Have you been to Philly? No, I haven't. Okay. No, neither have I. I've been to Pittsburgh. It was the closest I got. But, yeah. But uh, never been to Philly. I heard it's 
again, mixed, but I'm kind of a low-key Eagles fan growing up. I don't know why, but I always liked the Eagles. And then for listeners that may or may not judge me after this, I was a fan of Michael Vick for the athleticism that he produced not, on the field. Not the dog fighting, but the, okay, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, to yeah. clarify, I like, let's break it up, okay? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's break it let's, up. Let's address the, the elephant in the room for sure. But no, so anyway, yeah, it'd be cool to watch him. I don't have any love towards KC, but anyway, it'd be cool to see the big green come in. And Mahomes, Texas Tech guy. I mean, I guess oh, that's right. I bet our, our Permian oh, friends are probably goodness. all about that, wouldn't you think? I would imagine so. But uh, anyway, it'll be good. This probably get released afterwards. So we'll see if our prediction's right. I'm going to go Eagles. You're going Eagles. You're going Eagles, yeah? Yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. Eagles. All right, here we go. Eagles all the way. All right, well, let's get into the topic of third-party products, Matt. And the term third-party, it's not solely used in products, but I think it'd be good to sort of identify and describe what exactly do we mean when we say third-party. So third-party is generally someone else. And I'll define this by first-party in that if you work for a mud company, your company, you have those products that you are known for. So there's a trade name associated with them. They might be a special blend that only your company offers, proprietary, patented, not available anywhere else. Yeah, It could also be a private label. So it could be something that you get from a vendor, but you have your own name for Bayrite or whatever, right? So it could be that. But a third-party product is... Something that comes from someone else. And granted, before I get into the, like the more specialty things I think we're mostly going to unpack, this could be as simple as like buying cedar fiber, right? Sure. The thing is, nobody really wants to be in the business, well, somebody does, but nobody else, <laughs> of bagging up shredded cedar and selling it as a lost circulation material. However, for the most part, like you're not going to see many mud companies that just sell their proprietary brand of cedar fiber. It's going to be a bag of cedar fiber from somebody right? Yeah. Lime. Okay. So those are third parties, but it has a third party brand name on it or commodity basic stuff, right? Yeah. But then you get into some of the more specialized stuff that might have a specific application or purpose. Probably the most well-known would be lubricants and lost circulation material. But sometimes you'll see this with, you know, like a shale inhibitor. So kind of a higher end product or that kind of thing. And so they might say, hey, we have this special blend or we have this Special sauce, special formula. And so because we focus on this, we're really good at it. And therefore, you want to buy this from us kind of thing. Yeah. There are a few good products out there. There's some that are less good. I think you get the idea. I don't want to name too many specific names, but you know what we're talking about. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I have to respect companies that have built businesses on just a handful of products. It's great. I think it just it's a testament to if you're really niche, you, there's an opportunity to put your amount of concentrated effort into producing a product that you feel is this going to you know be the silver bullet for a lot of different things. And again, without naming any, like there's a lot of companies out there that have done extremely well, have kind of proven themselves, and now they're kind of spread out all over the basin. But the interesting part about it is. The specialty product game, from my perspective and experience, it's kind of a revolving door because a lot of times you can drill you know, a well and it could work three or four times great and then won't work for the next six. And a lot of these third-party products, it's the point I'm trying to make is you see them come and go. The challenge is oftentimes when there's decent marketing material out there that claims certain advantages, you often then have to educate people that well, hey, this was based off XYZ. And so as a company, these are, for lack of a better sort of way of putting it, like they're competing for our work. And sometimes good, sometimes, you know, it is what it is. But I think to get into it, Matt, what would you say on one side of the fence, what are some of the advantages of third-party products? I mean, one, there may be certain things that's just like, I don't have to mess with this. There are certain products where some polymers, some of these other things where it's like, look, I'm not really going to 
come up with anything that's all that different. I need to get the job done. You know, this product works well and so be it. We're just going to lean on them. Mm -hmm. And so you can focus on other things, maybe more core to drilling fluid or the drilling fluids that you typically sell. That focus can result in, in some good products, especially if there's a particular niche, I think, which is sort of what you're alluding to, but it has to actually fit. So there are places where this works, but probably not as often as we would like. Right, right. Which kind of, you know, naturally leads into some of the disadvantages, Matt. And I think the first thing is that I can think of is just the level of accountability. If we're sitting on the sidelines and all of a sudden someone calls us up and says, hey, ship us some stuff. And you kind of just blindly say, okay, here you go. Like you must need our product based off of the information that you have. It kind of presents some sort of challenges along the way. So can you supplement on the accountability side of things? I mean, you can claim anything to sell something, right? And at the end of the day, one of the problems is there's a certain country where how they bid out work is they bid everything by product. And so every product is separate, but it means you could have five different mud companies providing all the products that go on the rig. And if something goes wrong, everybody just blames everybody else, Right. right? Like I don't have to know anything. All I have to do is point the finger at somebody else. Right. Certain directional companies are great at this. But the issue is that you can say this fixes all the life's problems just as much as it's like, okay, well, where's the data? Prove it. Well, I don't have the resources to do it, but this one time it worked really well and let's go out to have dinner and talk about it. There is a lot of these that are sort of fly by night. You can make outlandish claims and you get a few sales in. And I think that's why some of these are fly by night is you make huge claims, you sell a few truckloads you make a stack of money and then people are like, wow, this actually just sort of raised our cost and didn't really change the game. And, and a lot of times you can see this when somebody makes either points out something that is true of everything. I see this in lubricants all the time. They'll say, oh, well, our special blend has an affinity for metal or something. It's like, well, they pretty much all do. So I get what you're trying to leverage there, but show me some data that proves it's different. And yeah. usually that data doesn't exist. Right. There's some of those things and then there's, just, you know, oh my gosh, we had all these whole problems and then we added product X and now it works great and you need it on all your wells. Well, it turns out that you're just buying the same thing as everybody else is and it's only going to work as well as that. Yeah. So that stuff gets sort of frustrating because yes, you can claim anything and normally these are like direct sales. So it's gone and you've got the money. Yeah. Another great point, you know, something we've discussed in the past, and and man, I know this holds true to your heart because you spend a lot of time in this arena, is just the quality control component to it. How would you describe it? And how is it, again, for a small company, they may not have the resources as say someone like us, who we have full teams dedicated to quality control. I mean, can you speak a little bit on that side? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, this could be a plus. If the third party is good at quality control, they've got the traceability and the certificates of analysis and everything. That can be a plus if you're a smaller company. If you're a bigger company, the frustrating thing is when there's a problem, and we have touched on this in the past, if there's a problem with a product, supposedly, usually it's not. Usually it's behavior, and we've talked about that too. But the very first thing I want to do is rule out everything I can control. So the very first thing I want to do is go back and look at all the lot numbers of those products, verify everything is what we say it is, just so I have the proof and we can move the conversation towards what really happened. When there's another party at play, a lot of times the answer I get is, well, it couldn't be us. It's like, that wasn't my question. My question was, where's your documentation? What are you willing to share? Some of it, they'd say we can't, that's confidential or proprietary. It's like, okay, well, I can only peel back the layers so far, but that can get a little frustrating when there's an issue. 
and that kind of circles back to accountability. Like, it's like, well, I can't get information from them. So now this is still my problem. <laughs> yeah. Something I've been exposed to for sure. Would you say for a lot of the third party products that you've ran into, are there typically, you know, subject matter experts within the field that whether it's be lubricants or lost circulation, would you say the expertise is often there or is it kind of a mixed bag or? I think it's kind of a yes and no. So look, sometimes some some people that I really respected would retire and go work for some of these companies and they're pretty sharp people. Like that company hired them for the right reasons and yeah. they're going to do a pretty good job, but they might not have the resources or that kind of thing to do what you'd hope they were capable of. But we also see kind of going back to the finger pointing and especially when it's like commission-based sales. I remember I was working in Indonesia and I was at a DWAP and there was a specialty lost circulation material company there. And it was just like they knew keywords to jump up and say, aha, we have a product for that. And so somebody mentioned a risk of washout. This gentleman jumps up and goes on and on about how they have a product to address washout. And like, but they're talking about bottom hole assemblies. And it was just like, like all he was doing was listening for these cues right. to like identify a sales opportunity. And it was one of those like, I don't know how much trust we can put. You're going to address my lost circulation issue if you're telling me you can stop washout in a BHA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and especially because a lot of these things work in relationship to one another. Yeah. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist. And then sometimes if you're real big and you know a product works in a certain formation, your specialty product, you may be actually very, very good at making that recommendation. But it's unlikely that a small company that only focuses on one thing is going to know the whole mud picture. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying that it doesn't happen often enough. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I mean, it kind of leads into just the whole technical support and in qualifying what they're claiming. Again, I, I haven't worked in that space, but I've been on a ring as a mud engineer and all of a sudden stuff comes up on location and the person dropping it off is they're getting ticket signs. Do you have any technical data on this stuff? Like I'm the one that's supposed to be mixing it up based off these recommendations. And you're kind of left with, well, maybe someone in the office has this information. And I would say that oftentimes the technical support and the lab testing and, and validation isn't quite what I'm used to. Therefore, the confidence level I have of pumping it through the hopper or putting it down the hopper down hole is often questionable. I mean, would you say that's somewhat accurate in your experience or? Yeah. The frustrating thing is, especially when somebody like makes up a test and they're like, this stuff's so great. Look at this test. It's like, well, nobody in the industry uses that test. You're sort of misleading <laughs> the buyer because it's like, oh my gosh, you did really well in this test. It's like, well, that test doesn't actually refer to anything down hole. That's why nobody does that. Yeah. You know, with lubricants, the different ways people test things on a lubricity meter that's a fairly common one. So I saw some people peddling a fluid loss reduction additive. They were like, this stuff's specialty and it really works. And they're like, here's one of our competing products treated at four pounds per barrel. And here's one also treated at four pounds per barrel, a competing product plus six pounds per barrel of our product. And it has less fluid loss. And it's like, wait, where's your control? Because all you did was add product on top of the one you already had. Like, that's misleading. Yeah. That shouldn't be there. You come across these things, and if it makes you scratch your head, there's probably a reason why. I think especially when people use the very broad language and the technical reports of, look at this magnificent performance, you know, really gets over the top outlandish. Like, when it's really salesy, mm -hmm. it's probably not technical. But then you circle back to, what if there's a problem? What if mud is a mixture? I mean, what else was in it that made that test look good? If you're having a problem 
Could it be the product? Could it be a behavioral thing? Like we talk about so many different times. Yeah. It might not be your product, but are you equipped? Do you have the resources to demonstrate that? Other than say, it wasn't my fault, look somewhere else. And I think that's sort of the awkward space sometimes you end up with third parties. Mm -hmm. I've even been in a position where you're forced to pump something for whatever reason that you don't necessarily support, or again, you just really don't have the information to confidently throw it down hole because there could be some adverse effects to the well, right? And then it's, you know, who's ultimately responsible? Us as a mud company, full service, are typically getting looked at and say, hey, well, what happened? So we were told to use this product and I don't have all the information on it. But ultimately, when you're doing a KPI or doing something else, you're still having to answer for something that you don't have full control over. So it can make it challenging unless there's a lot of expectations laid out beforehand, which, you know, you could have products be shipped out at three in the morning and pumped and you wake up, look at a report and it's like, what is a wonky tonky LCM? What is this? And you don't have any information then you're having to answer for it. And you just be convoluted unless you've established, like I said, boundaries and expectations with all parties. And again, it's going into the next point. Like there's times where you just have to work around pumping out third-party products. Like what are some of the words of advice or some good comments around how to work around this type of stuff? I think there are ways to collaborate. There's very little incentive sometimes when a third party is going to come and basically a lot of them sell by talking down to what's out there, right? So it's not just, oh, our product's great and I don't have a ton of proof why. It's that whatever product you're using now must be bad and you need to use me. And I don't actually know, I don't have somebody out there, so I don't actually know if you have a problem. Yeah. But there are instances where we've actually been able to partner up with somebody and say, hey, look, you have something decent. Let's find out a way to make it work. You know, that kind of candid communication can be helpful. Or look, what are some boundaries on how you run this? Like, I'm fairly comfortable when I was on a rig, I'd be like, I don't want you here, but you're here and (laughs) we got a job to do and the customer wants this. So I want you to tell me how you expect it to work. But I want you to understand also that if we have issues, we're going to talk first. You don't go run to the customer and start bad-mouthing my stuff when there's a problem. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk between each other about what we think is going on, whether it's your product or my product or something in between. And we're going to go to the customer with a solution. But we're not doing this you catch a sample of my stuff in the middle of the night and then come up with some dodgy data to suggest that it's got to be all our fault and that what we really need is more of your product. Like, yeah, I'm not playing that game. I think some of that candor early on can be fairly helpful or even your product works really well here, but not here. I'm happy for you to be out here in this location. But if you're going to start selling it as a solution, understand it's not a problem over here. Yeah. You know, those kinds of things where you can give a little feedback and At the end of the day, it's hard to build a high level of trust because there is this inherent sense of competition to some degree. But the other frustrating thing is we spend a ton of resources on many of the product categories that some of these products go for. Lost circulation material and lubricants and shale inhibitors. Like We do a lot to test those products and develop them and not only develop them, but make sure they work with other products and what environments they're best suited to. And we have the field data to prove it. And so it's very unlikely that we're going to walk into a customer's office and just recommend a sack of LCM. This is our toolbox. If you have a nail, I'm not going to hand you a wrench. Right. We're going to talk about the problem. And I think that's really the business that like a mud company is in solving those problems. All of them that might come up at a rig. And so that's where there's a lot of friction is, 
hey, you're stealing some of the tools from my toolbox. I got a business to run. Yeah. This might not actually be solving the problem and it's going to reflect on me. Yeah. And if a third party can maybe take in some of that, maybe you can find some common causes to work together a little bit better. Yeah. And again, I have not been on that side, but I just wonder, you know, for us in our space, we do a lot of consultative selling. We're not a widget where someone calls and they, oh, I need this. Next thing you know, you order and it shows up on location. There's a lot of conversation, identifying the problems, coming up with, here are some solutions that we propose. And it's very much conversational and identifying the right fit for purpose. Whereas, again, to your point, a lot of times there will be decisions made even at the field level it's like, oh, well, you got some of them XYZs, and it's like, why? You know what I mean? There's a lot of decisions made without there being a lot of consultation back and forth, identifying why and particle size distribution this and compressive strength that and pore size that. and Because there's a lot that goes into this to come out. And, and again, there are, I mean, if there wasn't, there probably wouldn't be around, but there are good third-party products. And I encourage if us in the field are seeing some gather up information, communicate with whoever is out there or whether, and then, or you know, in the office and gather information. So at least you understand the limitations and ultimately what it can do to the mud system. And I'm talking from a mud engineer's perspective, because yeah. some things are just sometimes out of our control. Um, oh, for sure. And again, which is why I thought it was important and you did a great job is just like figuring out how to work around having third-party products on location and there's the right products for the right purpose. And oftentimes they get pumped and we deal with it and on we go. But again, to your point is, we allocate a ton of resources to come with, you know, the right solutions to the right problems without creating problems that don't exist and then have something to sell on top of that. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard part. Like, because we're testing it for conditions and compatibility and like trying to take the whole picture of a mud system. And these other folks, like, oh, just throw it in. And it's like, well, you can or all oh, the products better. And it's like, well, is it what validation do you have? Because we spend a lot of time making sure that we're on our game with this stuff. And I'm not saying somebody can't think of something clever and come up with a great product. Like, absolutely not. 100%. And maybe that's a niche, and maybe they start a specialty products company, be my guest. You need to prove it, and you need to also be accountable for the claims that you make. I think that's why so many of these things come and go, is because big claims, doesn't work, gone. But at the end of the day, you're the mud engineer, you want to get to TD. Everybody else does too. There's ways to make it work. And it's something that you deal with. Mm -hmm. But it's also something that AES, like if we have the same product, we would understand why the product we've spent all the resources developing doesn't meet the expectations. Like right. Maybe we need to get better. But a lot of times it's, well, we wouldn't make that outlandish claim. Like I'm not putting my name on that. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated relationships are complicated, especially with third-party companies. Right. And then all the data and technical and all that aside, it, it oftentimes is political. And, and we have to deal with that too. Yeah. Just speaking the truth out there is it, it oftentimes can be. So again, it's complicated, but you know, it's always important to collaborate when necessary because ultimately the North Star is drilling a good well. And without drilling a good well, regardless of whoever's products, then it's a loss for everyone. But with that said, I mean, if there's anyone out there who has dealt with certain third-party products that are just amazing bring it to our attention. We're always interested to see what's out there. And as mud engineers, just be mindful of what you're pumping and understand the limitations, communicate. And that's about it from my side of things. Matt, what about you? Any closing last words? I think I'm good. 
Awesome. We'll appreciate all the support, everyone. Thanks for listening. And if you'd like to reach out to us over LinkedIn, we're active on there. You can find each of us. And I really encourage you to follow the A Australian Fluids LinkedIn page. If you've been following, you may have noticed some of the blogs that we've been putting out, really having folks from the inside getting to, to speak up and share their voice and their message as to their experience working with us, which I think is great. And just love seeing that kind of stuff. And also the technical information that Matt and his team keep putting out is great along with the podcast. We've got a lot of exciting things happening. And if you want to be a little bit more on the email side of things, you can reach out to us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. And with that said, take care, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.